Hello, I'm Kenza, and this is the Finding Space podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Finding Space podcast. This week, I interview Olympic gold medalist and world championship track rider, Eleanor Barker. Eleanor talks about the highs and lows of being an elite athlete, from winning gold medal in Rio to more challenging times where a sports psychologist really helped her. Enjoy. Um, there was pressure, and there wasn't really. It wasn't. There wasn't necessary pressure to achieve a, a lot, in particular for myself, or to show myself in any kind of way. Um, because I was so young, and I was so in school, and it was supposed to be my off season, and all these kinds of things. But also, I was very much there f- to facilitate a good ride for the other girls. Um, and it was at the point that it was a three-man team pursuit over three k. So it's not as if um, if it was in the same situation now, they might expect me to do whatever I can do on the front and then just bail and get out because you can lose a rider. Um, whereas at the time I had to keep going right until the end. So there was pressure in a sense that I had to be good for three kilometers. I had to keep up with the Olympic champions, the world record holders. Even if I didn't contribute that much, I still had to ride completely out of my skin um, just to be able to be there. Um, I think they went 10 seconds slower than they went at the Olympics. So they were a little bit gutted, even though they'd been having this big I don't know, period of partying and, and working and doing appearances and stuff and not really riding the bikes. They were like, oh, it doesn't really feel good to go that much slower. And I was like, ecstatic. So I was like, I just went 10 seconds faster than I've ever been before. This is amazing. Um, so it was kind of a, a mix between being absolutely terrified of letting them down and stopping them to be able to do their job properly um, and just really, really excited to be there. What was that like then, sort of, then turning up to a World Cup when you're riding with two Olympic champions, world record holders, did that create, did you suddenly think, oh God, what am I going to do? Yeah, or we, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I need to be so much better by this time next week. Because uh, it was a really quick call up as well. I think I got a call on the Saturday or Sunday um, and then I left Monday morning. I had to go into school to get to get some books and stuff and then I left Monday morning and then was gone for two weeks but I couldn't drive yet or anything like that so I had no independence I was kind of sat in this hotel room on my own thinking like oh god I don't know what I'm doing here um yeah it was a, it was a really really weirdly exciting but completely daunting time was it a nice environment to jump into it's quite a strange time to join actually um and it was a bit of a mix of a lot of people after the Olympics didn't come back that early so it's a a mix of very experienced um very famous people which does matter when you're 18 that's quite um especially after london which was so big yeah um yeah so that was quite nerve-wracking in a lot of ways um and i spent most of my days just being a little bit starstruck it was quite weird um but also with younger people who were filling the filling the spots of riders who hadn't come back from the olympics yet um so yeah it was a little bit of a mix and for a lot of us who were who were younger and it was our first world cup and there was quite a lot of us that that was the situation we were like wow this is nothing like we've experienced before and it was a home world cup and suddenly there's more people than just your mum and three other people in the crowd and everybody actually cares and everybody knows who you are um that was wildly exciting but then in comparison we're hearing the people who had been to the olympics and london olympics as well and in comparison to them they were like oh this is a bit 
a bit not rubbish but a bit uh, a bit anticlimactic I think mm. to what they'd just experienced a few months before so it's funny to kind of meet in the middle of that did it take a while for you to really feel not necessarily part of it but like it was home or did that happen quite quickly um well I didn't actually move to Manchester for a year after that so I was coming up for camps every now and again um but I was still for some reason I mean looking back I'm not entirely sure why but I was still trying to do my A-levels um I was trying to sort of grow up a little bit I was trying to pass my driving test and um trying to have a professional road career at the same time I was juggling quite a lot so I didn't really have a huge amount of time for the socializing kind of part of it it was kind of once training was done I needed to study I needed to get all this stuff done um so it was only when I moved up the year after and started living with some bike riders who were in different programs so some girls from the sprint squad I kind of started to feel like home but I think it probably was a, another year or so after that that I actually felt settled in 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 Manchester but also settled in the squad was, it, was that quite difficult to also juggle all those home things being away and hitting targets of performance or did that come quite naturally um no it was quite a stressful time actually but I mean it was stressful because I had the privilege of having a lot going on um but I think things like uh I had quite a serious boyfriend at the time that we've been together for a couple of years but obviously I was never around anymore suddenly um I hadn't seen a lot of my really close friends in quite a while uh I wasn't really there for any kind of family meals or family events so stuff like that kind of there's only so long it feels like you can just not do it at all um I didn't really have time for any of it and it seems bizarre now to look back and I do think I mean now I need quite a lot of rest between training um I don't really understand how I did it without the rest but I suppose the standard has just gone up um I mean I'm a better bike rider than I was then when I had all those stresses going on so I look back and I'm I'm really proud that I stayed I'm really proud that I got my levels and that I kind of stuck at it but a little bit of me does wish that I'd just moved up straight away and gone full-time and and had another year of that experience Overtraining seems to be quite a common theme between a lot for a lot of athletes um in their off season just when they're quite young going away and just thinking oh my god I've got to get better uh, you know that sort of anxiety of hitting targets did you ever feel that stress of having to continually push yourself in times where you thought actually I need to just take a take a week yeah absolutely yeah I think it's a funny thing trying to be a track and road rider is quite exhausting because road riders will get a month off um at the end of each year and have a proper off season and really offload and they'll also have a break halfway through the year most of the time um whereas we kind of it's not really an obvious time of year to have any time off because you're always going to have to really give something up for it um especially because you need big periods of time in the gym so you need big periods of time that you're training but not racing and you're not really performing because you can be so tired from the gym um so it's it's quite hard actually to find that time and to really make it a priority to have the time off um and yeah I think it's in my head just because we've been talking about that period of time in my life of leaving school but I really thought that as soon as I finished my last exam I thought I'm free now I'll just be a bike rider like this will be great I'm gonna have so much energy and I found that I didn't really feel any better um I actually just felt continually exhausted um and I realized I hadn't had a break or a holiday in I don't know four or five years or something like that I hadn't had any real time off that hadn't been cramming in schoolwork or cramming in whatever it was I'd been neglecting while I'd be riding my bike 
um and it came to the point that i had to have a kind of an emergency holiday i guess yeah <laughs> um because i was i was just completely burnt out um and i really thought that i'd feel better once i eliminated one of the stresses but i really needed to just have a week of just not thinking about any of it um i think as well because that was the point that i was moving up to manchester i put a lot of pressure on myself to be like right i've got no excuses now i'm gonna have to be so much better i'm gonna be able to give more um and i just couldn't my body was just exhausted i was getting ill all the time uh so yeah i think it's a really important part of training that's neglected is to have complete rest but it's as much mental rest as anything else should it be something that should be being instilled in younger athletes at 10 14 16 um yeah i think it should be instilled i think if you've got a coach they should know to plan it in and they should be able to find the right time because there's something kind of that helps you to relax when you've been told to when someone said this is your time off go and enjoy it go and do what you want Whereas if you're deciding it yourself, you're a bit like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this. Like, should I be, should I? And then you're kind of tempted to do, I don't know, just a couple of gym sessions here or there, or I'll just go for a, a road ride for fun. And then before you know it, you've actually done pretty much a training week in your week off uh, just because you want to dabble a little bit. Have you found ways of improving that? Are there things that you do or are there just moments of the day that you try and keep to away from it? How do you go about sort of, managing I guess your mental health well-being I think I've kind of made my own hierarchy of of needs I guess um where so I study as well and then um do things yeah things like this and things like appearances and little bits of like what you'd call work um yeah where cycling isn't necessarily work and I kind of put my life into a hierarchy of what trumps what and that can change if it's before a competition or if it's I don't know, in the middle of a training period, a training period with no racing where it's okay to maybe be a little bit tired or something. Um, but basically cycling and training and everything that's important to that. So sleep and diet will always be at the top for the time being, um, apart from in very rare circumstances where something else will trump it, that kind of always comes first. And then after that is my social life, making sure that I'm seeing my friends and family regularly, that I'm checking in with the right people and I'm enjoying life and that I'm getting enough social interaction with people who are nothing to do with cycling who don't understand it to be able to get out of that bubble a little bit and understand more of the world um and then beneath that I'm studying for a degree at the moment I'm in my sixth year of doing it part-time so it's a bit of a slog it's taking forever but I know that that's below my social needs in terms of my own hierarchy because I'm only really doing it for um I guess a sense of purpose and for to kind of figure out what I want to do with my life after cycling so I've chosen a degree that's you pick whatever modules you want so every year I've done a, a slightly different thing more or less to try and give myself some kind of idea of what I'm going to do um but because it's for my own sanity I won't I won't skip out on dinner with my friends or something like that um just if it means I'll get a slightly higher grade because it's not supposed to be stressful at the minute. I think I'll probably go back and do a degree that I'll actually pour my heart and soul into at some point when that can be the top of the the top of the table. But at the moment, it's kind of just something to to give me purpose on bad days. I think when yeah, when I've got bad form and I think, oh god, is it ever going to come back? Then I think at least I've got something else. I've got something else going on. I think it's really important that we are doing these things away from our focal points. Um, I don't know if you felt like your degree has helped your 
athletic career having that um I think so to be honest I try and mainly keep studying to training camps because we have so much time on training camps that I have, I just don't know what I'd fill it with otherwise um and beforehand I would literally just sit there all day thinking I I don't know how people do this I don't know like I need to think about something else while I'm here um while I'm at home there's always like things that you can fill your time with and cooking and shopping and visiting friends and doing this and that but on camps it, I, I can just feel my mind turn into mush so I find it quite important to use it to use it then and use all the free time and the full rest days in um I don't know some random little town in the middle of nowhere that you've gone to because the roads are quiet but it also means that there's nothing around there's nothing to do so I use it to stop myself going out of my head then really but I think it's quite interesting I was reading recently about this whole millennial burnout thing where everyone feels like they need to have a side hustle everyone feels like they need to be doing something creative and productive with their spare time and I think that can be really really useful but I think it's kind of a uh, I don't know maybe a dangerous hole to fall into where you feel like you've always got to be creating something or you've always got to be I don't know progressing in some way in all of your spare time um and now I don't know just sitting watching a movie feels like a waste of time because you're not doing anything um, that you're gonna get any kind of what's I'm looking for like gratification satisfaction yeah, yeah satisfaction. it's that sort yeah. of yeah. the red notification thing exactly of, yeah to you're be... not gonna get a dopamine hit from it so why bother what is it like being at those events on that downtime when you're away from it because you've obviously got four years of training <laughs> four years of mental preparation physical preparation and you have a sort of week before and there's a lot of downtime even then mm. how do you sort of manage that that period i mean maybe even touch on how what was it like building up to your first sort of olympics that week in rio well, i remember actually having a really serious think about how i'm gonna use my downtime when i was packing because i was trying to decide which book to bring and i was like this is probably going to be the most important book that you will pack like this needs to have the right kind of like mindset in it, whatever it is, whether it's a novel or uh, autobiography or whatever. I was like, you need to bring the right book. Um, and the same with like downloading films for the plane and whatever. I was like, what film is suitable for the Olympics? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> it feels so daft. I was like, I don't want to watch something that's going to put me in a bad mood or like, I don't know. I want to watch something that's like got the right, I don't know, that makes you feel good afterwards or that is distracting enough that. What did you go with? I don't even think... I. I don't think I even read. I think I might have opened a book and looked at the words, but I don't think I actually took anything in. It's yeah. it's pretty hard to relax, to be honest. You you got to rest, but you all your body is probably telling you is go and compete really fast. But yeah, then your brain is the, whirring as well. Yeah. Um and when you're absolutely exhausted, you can rest better and you can sleep better and you really want to just sit down and do nothing. So most of the time watching trash TV is not a problem but you'd never ever rest like you will before an Olympics. Like you just won't ever miss that kind of, that amount of training. So every day you've rested a little bit more, so you're feeling a bit more fresh, so you've got more energy to overthink it. So then resting seems harder and harder to do. Um, so it's, it gets just harder and harder to relax, I think, because you've got more energy that you want to be using. Um, and we're so used to having this fatigue that's kind of like in your bones and you just sort of carry it around with you and you're always exhausted. And then it got to like four days before the Olympics. And I was like, wow, I don't feel like crap. This is amazing. <laughs> I hope this lasts forever. It was such a good feeling. Moving on to Tokyo, you're going to have 
a different approach? Do you think you'll be able to manage that week uh, before the Olympics in a different way? Or do you think you're just going to approach it the same way and not know which book to read? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't know what book I'm going to bring there at the minute. But it, I think it's going to be different. Everyone says that every Olympic experience is a bit different because... The first one, I was so, so, so nervous every single day for months and months before it, just thinking about it all the time. And then as soon as we got the first ride done, I was like, well, I'm an Olympian now. I've never been an Olympian before. Even if it doesn't go any further than this, even if we don't even make a final, I'm an Olympian. Like, I've I've done it. Um, and it felt like a massive success. And I just couldn't imagine going home from that feeling like a failure. So as soon as we'd ridden, I was fine. I mean, I had some nerves. It's easy to look back in hindsight and say that I was fine, but... I think it's the least nervous I've ever felt before a race, particularly in the final, because um, I was like, the worst thing that's going to happen, the worst thing that can happen today is that I'll get an Olympic silver medal. Like, that's fine. I'm all right with that. So being on that step, winning it, did you did you know how to, like, how did you deal with that sort of euphoria? What was that like going through? To be honest, I don't think I had any coherent thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like in a cartoon when there's someone not really thinking anything and there's just like a monkey clapping some symbols. <laughs> yeah. I think in my head, it was just like monkeys having a pie. <laughs> yeah. And there wasn't really, it was just like pure happiness. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Um, and I probably did have some some coherent thoughts at some point, but it was it was just noise. Um, and a lot of that was in my head. A lot of that was in the velodrome. It was, yeah, it was mad. Um, and not like anything I've, ever experienced hopefully we'll get to experience it again so sort of flipping it slightly um obviously managing those highs and enjoying them have you had events or times away training camps that you can particularly remember that have just been really difficult and doesn't necessarily have to be a loss just a event where even you've won but you've just found it really hard to be away or like you've just felt like your mental health is not in the right place um yeah actually around this time last year um I was having yeah I was having a pretty bad time to be honest I don't think that'd be come as a surprise to hear from anyone that knew me around then um and for no for no one particular reason I mean I think we'd have to do a whole other podcast to be honest there's a lot going on in my life and in a lot of the people close to me's lives um yeah, it was just, it was quite a difficult time. And I remember having to go to a World Cup in Canada um, and I'd not been very good at training. Um, I was quite stressed. So I wasn't really eating properly or sleeping properly or any of the things that make you a good athlete. So I was struggling quite a bit. And yeah, we went and I don't know, against all odds, I had won two out of two gold medals. I don't really know how because yeah, I wasn't really <laughs> in a great state. But I remember looking at one of the pictures from from the podium from the team pursue and I just look so unhappy I think it's my least favorite photo of all because yeah people look at that and think god why is she doing this if obviously makes her so so like she's clearly not enjoying it and it wasn't that I mean I, I said in an interview uh at the world championships in February that I'd thought about quitting over the winter and I really had and it wasn't because I'd fallen out of love with cycling which is what I think I kind of said in a bit of a hurried answer it's just I didn't seem to have room for that kind of stress in my head um and compared to everything else that was going on I was like I, I don't actually care about a few tenths of a second of a lap on a track um it was just 
it was so important to everyone around me and I just couldn't really understand that I was like but what about this 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 and this it's all going on um yeah and that was quite a hard trip to be away as well because there was a lot of people at home that I wanted to be around for and I couldn't I had to go to a different time zone so I couldn't even really be on the phone for a lot of it um and it was not a hugely enjoyable time when you're in that really difficult place on Europe away in Canada were you mentioning it to anyone did you do you talk to athletes who are obviously friends do you talk to them about it or do you try and keep it to yourself like how have you sort of managed that I kind of did a little bit of both I think yeah because you spend so much time together it becomes obvious it's not like I can just go in for a couple of hours and I don't know pretend that it's all okay and then come home and, and not be you'll when you're on these trips you're with each other 24 7 you're sharing a room with somebody there's not really anywhere you can go so I didn't really talk about it as such but it was fairly obvious I suppose that that things weren't going quite right do the GB set up do you have someone that you can go and talk to sort of therapist or uh yes we've got a psychologist uh Rich Hampson is is who I've been working with or who works with the endurance squad and he actually got to British Cycling kind of perfectly at the right time for me I think he'd been working at the Velodrome for like two days before I got in touch with him at that point in time to say like I need I need to sort this out and has that been something that you found has been really helpful not only to you just being a healthy person and enjoying life but also for your performance yeah massively um and I think everything I was going through is very much circumstantial but um I had all the yeah for for a few months I had all the symptoms I suppose of somebody who was suffering from anxiety or depression or something like that um and it was very much circumstantial and everything passed eventually um but I think it's quite important to to I don't know I think to recognize that and we talk about treating mental health as we do physical health um and it's quite an interesting dynamic in that people talk about the mental strength of athletes and mind over matter and all that kind of stuff but Honestly, if, if that is if that is what anxiety feels like, then yeah, I applaud anybody who gets anything done when they feel like that. If they feel like that all the time, it's yeah, that's incredible. Um, and I think it's so important to be able to get that help. And I think even just the the confidentiality of having someone that you can go and talk to that they don't even necessarily have to say anything back, but just to go like, here's all my problems, you can have them now. And they can't tell anyone. That's great. That's yeah. amazing and you can kind of talk about it without judgment and without risk of upsetting anyone and particularly when um so a lot of what I was dealing with were not actually my own problems so I didn't really feel comfortable in sharing that with anyone else because it was sort of other people's I don't know other people's personal lives who just happened to be very close to me uh, and that was a bit of a struggle but I can tell somebody if it's confidentiality it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like gossiping then uh, so a lot of therapists will have a therapist. They have like a, a meta therapist, I suppose. Oh, really? Um, because it's a lot to just take on other people's problems mm. all the time. And so they need to offload onto somebody else. And I suppose at some point it goes around in a circle of therapists using each other as therapists. Um, but I kind of felt like that. Like I needed to take all of other people's problems and sort of offload them somewhere because like, I couldn't be the, the last stop, I suppose. And I guess for you, you say that you haven't, used it much but now knowing that it's there exactly must help yeah it really does yeah I saw a really interesting quote recently about someone saying that 
everyone should go to therapy all the time like you go to you go to the dentist you go to the doctors you go to the gym it should just be like one of those people that you visit regularly it should be like a general checkup once every couple of weeks or once every month um it was obviously a very rich person who said that but the the con the, yeah the concept of it I completely agree with I think it would be it would be good if we made it a more I don't know a more routine thing that everybody just did do you think that the sort of mental health side of sport is improving are people in the system <laughs> um paying more attention to it or has it got probably a long way to go I do think things have changed relatively quickly though so I talked about when I first moved up to Manchester and I think and even being on the youth squads and stuff there was this idea that you need to be mentally tough and you need to be able to get through anything in which case we should make it tough to see who's to see who's tough enough for this like who can who can put up with the most but in a lot of cases I think it was kind of done it can be done quite quite badly maybe it's it's easy to get it wrong and it's easy to just think that making things unnecessarily difficult will make people good or weed out the weak people um so when I first moved up here I moved into a house that was provided by British Cycling which was which was great it was amazing I lived with three of the cyclists and we had a really really good time but there's all sorts of rules so things like we weren't allowed guests and if we did have a guest it was only allowed to be for two nights in a row and we could only have that once a month and you had to ask permission and tell them who was coming um, and they could approve or not approve. And I was like, oh my God, I've just moved away four hours from home. You're telling me that if I want to see anybody, I've got to pick one friend a month or my boyfriend or whoever it is. I've got to pick one person a month and then I can only see them for a day because it's it's two nights, it's one day really, isn't it? Um, and I don't think really, I don't know, that kind of toughness, like how lonely can you put up with being will mm. make you a good bike rider. Um, and that's not that's not the system anymore. That's not how it works. But for a while, it was just sort of how much can they put up with and still be good. Isolation seems to be one of the biggest things that crops up because cyclists are constantly in a hotel room, constantly yeah. on the move. Yeah, exactly. very rarely in the comforts of your own home. Yeah, and even then, when I was at home, um, I wasn't allowed to feel as though I was at home. And a member of staff was allowed to walk in the door anytime they liked, and we had inspections and all that kind of stuff. And I think in a lot of ways, it was really, really cushy that like we had this great house provided for us and we had, the bills were paid for us. Like we we paid for them, but like it was through somebody else. We didn't have any of that stress and we didn't have to set up the Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. Like everything was done for us. But yeah, the social side of it, I found quite tricky, especially when you've just moved to a new city, you want to kind of keep contact with the, with the world that you used to be in. Um, and it was just made a little bit too hard and occasionally I do think I wonder how many how many incredible gold medal winning cyclists there could have been or sports people this is the case in a lot of sports there could have been if instead of being tested when they're not doing sport obviously physical testing absolutely but instead of being mentally tested and seeing how much they could put up with if they were just supported and and guided um then maybe they could have been incredible but actually they went mm, no nah, I think I'll be happy instead and they've gone but it'll definitely be interesting to see how it evolves sort of going through. Will big teams make drastic changes? I mean, you've already said that there's been quite big changes. I mean, you turned up and a therapist turned up, yeah. <laughs> which is quite convenient. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think quite big changes have been made. And I think if we're talking about having athletes who are good, but who also who are consistently good, you need to have some level of good mental well-being because 
yeah, it's it's hard to keep motivated and keep being consistently on top of your game if you're not happy or if you've got periods of being very unhappy for whatever reason um, and there's no solution to it. So I think that's there's a, a much more general understanding of that and that your everything's kind of is interlinked and it's not just how you are physically, it's how you are mentally and it goes into everything like the food that you're eating and how well you're sleeping. Um, yeah, it's all kind of a factor. I remember one of the first um introductions I got to a psychologist this was years and years and years ago um but one of the old bosses who doesn't work at British Cycle anymore said uh and this is a psychologist you're not to speak to her about any personal issues if your dog dies that's your own problem you deal with that on your own she's here for sporting reasons you've got to talk to her about racing and training and that's it and at the time I was like yeah cool that makes sense I was I think I was like 19 and I was like yeah that absolutely makes sense she's a sports psychologist that's what it's for and it wasn't until someone pointed out that actually if your dog dies and you're absolutely devastated and you're drinking a bottle of vodka every night to deal with it and you stayed up until 2am crying your eyes out, it's probably going to impact your performance. Um, and it's, yeah, it's making the point that everything is interlinked and while you can't completely control that, you can try and put in some support networks for it. Thank you for listening. If you would like to see the portraits from this week's episode, please go to findingspace.cc. For more interviews like this, please subscribe to the Finding Space podcast. But more importantly, if this story resonated with you, please share. The more we engage with the topic of mental health, the further we can go to break down the stigma.